Welcome back to the Santa Cruz Baptist Podcast. We should actually get another name for this podcast at a certain point, but uh, I am Tyler Hurst, one of the pastors here at Santa Cruz Baptist, and I'm with Drew Cunningham, who on Sunday preached for us from Daniel chapter 6. So Drew, would you give us a summary of the content of Daniel 6? Yeah, so Daniel 6, it's been probably, I don't know, it's hard to say, but probably one of my favorite chapters that I've, I've been able to preach so far in Daniel. Um, it is just full of gold. And something that I said in the sermon was it's amazing, but not for all the reasons that I thought it was before mm. studying it this time. Um, and one of those things is that Daniel 6, there are some gold nuggets of the call to prayer and Uh, many other things that Daniel models in this chapter. Um, It's amazing that God miraculously saves Daniel from the the teeth of the lions. Mm -hmm. Those are amazing things. But um, the most amazing thing about Daniel chapter 6 is that it um, parallels or points forward to Jesus's resurrection in many ways. And Mm -hmm. Um, so in, I would say one of the main points of Daniel chapter six is that Daniel is what we would call a type of Christ. Um, so this word typology, it's something that is used a lot in the realm of biblical theology that we've talked a lot about on this podcast. And what we mean when we say that Daniel or any other figure in the, the Old Testament who is a type of Christ is this, um, I heard an example once of a father who gives his son a little matchbox car, you know, that's a a red Corvette and says, uh, son, when you're 16, I'm going to buy you a real one of these. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, there are differences between a red Corvette uh, matchbox car and a real one. Uh, Yeah, like the ability to get from point A to point B. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, the real one is, is obviously much better than the Matchbox car, mm-hmm. but um, the son is given something in that analogy that helps him understand mm-hmm. a little bit of what the, the real one's going to be like. Yeah. And so when we say that um, we're talking about typology or a type of Christ in the Old Testament, that's what we're getting at, is that there are these figures throughout um, the, the Old Testament that tell us a little bit of, of what the real one's going to be like mm-hmm. in Jesus. Yeah, in a sense, it's uh, actually not as complex of a concept as we can often tend to make it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you could compare typology um, to allegory pretty easily. And so, you know, most Christians who read through Chronicles of Narnia get pretty quickly who Aslan is supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. And typology is something similar taking place, except for it's taking place in history, in historical records, and God has providentially orchestrated certain things to point forward either positively or negatively to the story of Christ. Bingo. So mm-hmm. uh, I referenced Luke 24, mm-hmm. uh, and this is after Jesus rose from the grave, and he um, is walking along and, and gives this Bible study, and it says something along the lines of, beginning with the law, the, the writings, and the prophets, um, he told them everything concerning himself. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially what he's saying is, all of the Old Testament is about me. 
Um, and so that's the question I was asking with, with Daniel 6, is how does Daniel 6, how is it uh, about Jesus? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's very clearly um, inspired by the Holy Spirit to point towards Jesus' resurrection from the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus, in the same way that we see Daniel in this passage, is full of, of wisdom. Yeah. Um, and he has these people who conspire against him to have him killed. He is put before a weak ruler in the person of Pontius Pilate who agonizes and tries to um, get him off the hook, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but to no avail. Um, He's crucified and on the cross quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, And verse 21 of that Psalm says, save me from the mouth of a lion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's clear connection uh, of his, his crucifixion to what's going on here in Daniel 6. And then Jesus is put in a tomb, and a stone is rolled over the, the mouth of the tomb, and it's sealed. Mm-hmm. We see that in Daniel 6. He's thrown in this pit, a, a stone rolled over, and it's sealed. And then early in the morning um, of Jesus's, the, the third day, Jesus' disciples and the women go to the tomb um, in haste. Well, we see in chapter 6, we see Darius early in the morning running mm-hmm. in haste to this, this yeah. closed tomb or pit, so to speak. And then what do we see in, in Daniel 6? He's alive. He comes out of the pit alive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we see in Jesus' resurrection. He is alive. Um, and so I think the main point that we're meant to see, even though there's gold in so many other places, is that it points towards Jesus' resurrection and that when we trust in our God, uh, that we too will be raised anew to life and saved from judgment. Yeah. Um, which is something we also see in Daniel 6. Um, there's a clear portrait of salvation in Daniel being raised or, or coming out of the pit alive. And there's judgment in those who actually are eaten by the lions. And so trusting in God um, and trusting in his righteousness specifically um, will lead to us being raised with Christ. And so uh, that, I think, is the most amazing part and main point of the chapter as a whole. Yeah, and I think um, it might be helpful to say one thing just in terms of, uh, of warning. Um, I once heard a pretty good biblical theology professor say, uh, when I look at the Old Testament, I don't want to see Christ in every rock or under every rock and in every tree in the Old Testament. But if he's under a rock or in a tree, I definitely don't want to miss him. Bingo. And one of the things I think is important is any of those individual details you pointed out about Daniel, we might, uh, if we just had that one detail, we might scratch our head and think like, ah, oh, I wonder, stone rolled in front, sealed, could that be a reference to the tomb? But one of the things in particular about this passage is there's just so many of them mm-hmm. that it is hard to miss all of these little details uh, pointing forward, and especially when you get to the location of Daniel 6 as kind of the fulcrum chapter on which the book turns. And so, you know, for the next sermons, we're going into the realm of prophecy, and actually we're going to backtrack into chronology. Uh, And so this, uh, in terms of the narrative, is the climax and the conclusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the rest of our sermon series in Daniel, we're going to be kind of looking at Daniel through a different lens. So I think that also opens up up that typological understanding there. Bingo. 
so with that said, as I was listening to your sermon, um, I realized you and I had a couple of the same points that I would have had if I taught this, but there were some things that were different uh, from how I would have taught it, which let me know you definitely left something on the cutting room floor because I know we probably both saw the same thing and you just made the judgment call of, here's how I'm going to structure this message. So mm-hmm. what are a couple of those things? Yeah, so one thing um, that I briefly discussed in the sermon, but definitely some of the application points of it were left out. Um I talked a little bit about who this Darius guy is mm-hmm. and how I believed that um, both historically and for grammatical reasons that Darius is the same guy as Cyrus, but just called by a different name. Now, one thing I made sure to say is this is not a gospel issue, and um, I wouldn't say that I am certain of this fact, Um not willing to throw my stake in the ground here, but it seems to me that Darius and Cyrus are the same person. Um, just one is a, a Persian name and one is a name given by the Medes. Um, so if that's true, um, and Isaiah 45, one through three, if you want to go kind of look this up, a lot of people point to Isaiah 45, one through three to say, yeah, even Isaiah identifies Cyrus as the one who the Lord gave Babylon to. Mm -hmm. Um, So if that's the case, then that means Cyrus is the one ruling um, during Daniel 6. Why does that matter? Well, historically and scripturally, we know that under the reign of Cyrus, actually in his first year, which is when this would have been going on, Cyrus released the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. So I'll just, uh, if you want to look it up later, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, um, talks about in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and essentially he releases the Jews to go back and gives them, uh, you know, I guess gold and silver and um, safe passage to Jerusalem. Wood from his forests, all sorts of things. Right. Second uh, Chronicles 36, verses 22 and 23 as well. And I'll just go ahead and read those. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so again, mm-hmm. that would be the setting of Daniel 6, mm-hmm. um, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if... Cyrus is, is Darius, and this is this proclamation of letting them go to Jerusalem is happening during Daniel 6. Why didn't Daniel go back? Yeah, Daniel just hangs out uh, and stays in the empire. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And not only that, not only does he stay back, he, as we read in Daniel 6, mm-hmm. serves this pagan king and this pagan kingdom, even though he could have gone somewhere, you know, more, so to speak, safe. Yeah. Um, Something that was more comfortable to him. And he probably would have had 
for the first time in his life, unquestioned leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things we've encountered in Daniel 1 through 6 so far is Daniel is constantly praised for his wisdom, given a position of prestige, and then literally by the next chapter, it seems like nobody's heard of him because he just got put on the shelf to gather dust. Right. Uh, but had he gone back to Jerusalem, he'd probably be with, as the text tells us, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and Ezra, one of the sort of like secondary founding fathers of the new Jerusalem being built. Right. And so, you know, for, for me, that's something that got left on the cutting room floor that mm-hmm. didn't make it into my sermon. But I think there is some application for us or things for us to consider in that of mm-hmm. what does it mean um, to forego leaving and going somewhere more comfortable or more, um, I guess, easy to serve in a, in a pagan kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean for us today? Uh, I think of even missionaries who serve in hard places, places yeah. where uh, it's hard soil or maybe even a closed country. For many people who have been in a church that regularly prays for missionaries, it's not uncommon in larger churches that do that to hear we can't actually use this guy's full name and we can't tell you the exact country he's in because were somebody from that country to listen to this podcast, that person would be in danger. doesn't seem like a particularly comfortable place. And for most missionaries with the sort of language skills and knowledge that they're able to obtain, you can tell they have the skill set to do a lot of other things. Right. So, yeah, those types of missionaries... It's not that they're bound in the countries that they're in. They could come back to the U.S., mm-hmm. live a comfortable life, um, be a lot easier for them, um, probably financially, emotionally, um, all of the above. They mm-hmm. could be around other Christians. Yeah. Um, and that'd be more comfortable spiritually for them even. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet they stay. They choose to stay in foreign, often pagan lands for a reason. And so the, the question I would want to ask is, why? Mm-hmm. Why would a missionary do that? Why did Daniel do that? Mm-hmm. So as we're looking at that, I mean, you run into this interesting thing in terms of uh, when you pay attention to sort of like the Christian blogosphere or different things being said now, that's extremely relevant for us. We're constantly being told that uh, not just our country, but the Western world is growing increasingly secular. People are leaving the church. Uh, theological positions are becoming increasingly unpopular to hold. Uh, I mean, I just think about how frequently you hear about, uh, you know, the next um, Christian author or popular Christian pastor who's flipped position on something like biblical sexuality or uh, abortion or something that would uh, be more pleasing to our culture. And so you often find this pursuit of comfort there. Mm-hmm. Um but what we see constantly in the scriptures is sort of a, a countercultural movement. Uh, so maybe one of the things we should talk about then, we should unpack, is something you mentioned in your sermon and just the concept that uh, we live in a world that, according to Jesus, hates us. Uh, so Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, says, uh, "So they have hated as they have hated me, so they will hate you," mm-hmm. uh, which. I think for many of us can be sort of an interesting diagnostic for where we're at in our faith. Essentially, if we take that concept and we put it next to 
our pursuit of the character of Christ, it gives us uh, a grid to kind of assess, how am I doing in following Jesus? Because there's, um, there should be an, a discomfort uh, living in our world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but before we dive in there, I just want to rewind mm-hmm. and say, um, to try to answer that question a little bit of like, mm-hmm. why would Daniel stay mm-hmm. in the world that you just described? Mm-hmm. Of being in, in a place where he was hated. Like yeah. these people conspire against him to try to have him killed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a question that we've been, you know, or I guess a theme of, of Daniel comes from Psalm 137, verse 4. Um, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Mm-hmm. So Daniel chooses to stay in that, you know, world where he's hated for his his love of God. Yeah. Um, and I think the ultimate answer for why he would do that is twofold. One, that he has a bigger picture uh, of what God's doing, mm-hmm. um, and he wants to be a part of that. Yeah. He's been a part of that for, yeah. you know, 70-something years up to this point, and wants to finish out what, what he started there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's going to be even a, a bigger theme throughout the rest of Daniel, as we zoom out into these apocalyptic visions, um, that he begins to understand on a cosmic scale what God's doing. And so uh, knowing that, you would, would have more of an impetus to be like, okay, I could go and pursue comfort, go to an area where I'm not hated, mm-hmm. um, but I'd be missing out on something so much bigger and so yeah. much more important that God seems to be doing in this kingdom. Right. And so to fast forward to you, your original question, um, yeah, Jesus tells us in John 15 that um, if we're in this world and we're following him, we'll be hated. Mm-hmm. So why, like, what What does that look like on a regular basis for Christians? Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking about this and through the lens of Daniel, and uh, I mean, well, we, I think one of the things that Christians have a false idea about is this idea of, hey, we can live like Jesus and if uh, we're serving the world, um, as Jesus served the world, um, it will it will eventually win it over, and the world will come to love us. Uh, and I think one Daniel's life shows this to be false, but also mm-hmm. we just see this as false consistently in our mm-hmm. own world and in the life of Jesus. Um, so how does how does Daniel show that's false? Well, uh, the one of the passages I preached in Daniel was Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Um, he wants it interpreted, and Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, who are referred to as the Chaldeans in the passage, can't interpret him. And so Nebuchadnezzar, who throughout the text shows himself to be um, run hot and cold, uh, flips the switch to hot and is immediately like, we're going to kill all the wise men. So gather them all up. We're going to execute them because they can't tell me my dream. And then Daniel stops him from killing them uh, and says that he can interpret the dream. So we're told in the text that none of the wise men are harmed, none of the Chaldeans are killed. Well, what takes place in Daniel chapter 3... So Daniel in chapter 2, just to boil it down, uh saved their bacon. Yes. Yeah, they are about to be executed by the king, and he stops it because he can interpret the dream. Got it. Keep in mind, he could have let them die and interpreted the dream when it came to kill him. He could have been like, actually, I can do this. Right. Uh, But he preempts that... And then what we see in chapter 3 is it's the Chaldeans, the same group of people who Daniel just saved. They are alive because of Daniel's work. Plot against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's three friends, 
in order to get them killed. Mm-hmm. So you have this, uh, you have Daniel saving them, and yet they don't come to love him. Similarly, you have Christ uh, serving the world. Um, he's healing. He's preaching the gospel. He's feeding people. He's constantly doing all these things. But what happens? The Pharisees are able to turn the mob on him uh, at at a whim, and that's mm-hmm. what leads to his death. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, as Christians, we're thankful for the death of Christ because it's followed by the resurrection of Christ. But at the same time, it shows us serving the world is not a way to get the world to love you. Sure. It, it likes you f- until it has a reason to not, basically. Right. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, just to give a caveat to that, our, our goal as Christians is not to be jerks. If we, mm-hmm. I mean, it's super easy to go out and make someone hate you. Right. But that's not our goal. Um, you know, we, we don't go out looking for a fight. But mm-hmm. I guess my point in, in the sermon and what, what we see in Daniel uh, is that if our goal is to please the world, we're running a fool's errand. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not, not worth your time if your main goal is to please the world. Mm-hmm. Daniel's main goal was to please God. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, the world hated him. And Jesus tells us that we should expect nothing less than that. Yeah, and I think that's really important to grasp. Um, I think in our world today, we constantly hope that service will will win us favor. And I think one of the messages of the book of Daniel is, no, God, through his sovereignty over human hearts, is the only thing that's going to give us favor. Mm-hmm. And God puts us providentially in cultural moments where we can have favor and do amazing things, um, I think of Christians in Poland uh, who recently have advocated for uh, removal of abortion laws, specifically abortion laws that target uh, children who are diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb. That's an amazing thing that is a Christian movement taking place there. But there's also times in which in which God providentially places us in situations which we do not have cultural favor and we're to live like Jesus to, as Jesus said, to be salt to the earth there and a light to the world and live by contrast. Mm-hmm. And to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Right, exactly. Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> Which requires us to see, um, since I'll bring this up, since you mentioned the last time we did the podcast, uh, one of the, um, or you mentioned concerns about uh, evangelicalism's uh, false idols, things we can be seduced into worshiping other than God. One of the things we should note then is that in order to live that command out, we have to see ourselves through the language of the New Testament as sojourners and exiles. Mm-hmm. If we see ourselves fundamentally as citizens of the actual geographic lands in which we hail from. If I'm an American first, I'm not going to be able to do that. I have to see myself as first a citizen of the kingdom of God in exile waiting to go home. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the main things, I, I addressed a little bit of this in Daniel 6, but uh, there's a huge part of Daniel 6 that deals with Daniel's prayer life yeah. and his consistency in that. And so just to kind of close out today, um, something we didn't talk about in this this podcast, but some resources that I would recommend on prayer specifically. Um, one of my favorites is a tiny little book called Enjoy Your Prayer Life by Michael Reeves. Very practical, um, very helpful on what enjoying a prayer life looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, another 
favorite of mine is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Um, fantastic book with some, some great practical tips for what it looks like to have a, a praying life, just mm-hmm. as the title says. And then third, um, we've mentioned this before, but Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. Uh, he walks through what it looks like to take scripture and to use that scripture as a grid for your prayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really helpful. Um, and and that's an aspect of what we saw Daniel doing. He's, he's facing towards Jerusalem, and we see that, that he, why is he doing that? Well, because that was a part of Solomon's prayer mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, from First Kings, I believe it is. And so, um, yeah, another final resource that I would recommend, uh, I preached a sermon series on all of this uh, about a year and a half ago, and I can link that in the show notes if you're interested in prayer and what prayer is scripturally and why we pray as Christians um, and, and what it accomplishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love resources on prayer. I think, well, I should say it this way. I have never met the Christian, and you and I, you can probably say the same thing. We've both been to seminary, which means we've met a lot of people whose job it is to research and think about the Christian life. But I have never met the Christian who is satisfied in their prayer life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should say, that I should amend that. I've never met the Christian who I would like to emulate who is satisfied in their prayer life. Um, and one of the things that I've always um, been encouraged by is books on prayer and uh, messages on prayer, because I find that that's always something we can grow in, because mm-hmm. you can always have more conversations with God. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite books on prayer, I'm actually uh, about 50 pages from the end of it, and I can see it right there on your shelf, is Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. Great book. Um, really simply, uh, D.A. Carson, uh, in desiring to kind of build up people's prayer life, points out one of the easiest ways to do this is just to pray the prayers of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And he says he can focus in a lot of different places, but he picks the epistles of Paul. And Paul uh, was a man of structure, and so almost every single one of his letters begins with a prayer concerning the church. And so Carson just walks through those prayers and asks, uh, what is it that the by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul prayed for? And in looking at that, we can see both the heart of God and the heart of Paul, a Christian we would like to emulate in the God whom we serve. And then we can ask, how can my prayer life reflect that? Mm-hmm. And so Carson is just a brilliant thinker. He's an academic. He's a seminary professor. Uh, but that's just a very devotional, very readable, uh, and extremely practical book on prayer. Awesome. So yeah, I, I hope that... Daniel chapter 6 is an encouragement to us Mm -hmm. in faithfulness, an encouragement to us in prayer, Mm -hmm. um, an encouragement to us in the middle of maybe even persecution. Uh, Yet, if we walk away from Daniel 6 without seeing Christ and the power of his resurrection, uh, we have whiffed on this chapter. And so, yeah, I guess in in closing, um, I would just say... um, as you think about the good news of Jesus, we rightly often focus on his death and his atoning work on the cross for us, and that is a vital core part of the good news of Jesus. But if we miss out on the truth of his resurrection, mm-hmm. uh, there's no hope for us, as mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 15 says. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we're of all to be pitied mm-hmm. as Christians. And so there is great hope in knowing 
not only that Jesus died for our sins, but that he rose again on the third day, defeating once and for all sin, Satan, and death. Mm -hmm. And so in Daniel 6, we get a foretaste of that, and we see that God is able to bring people out of pits and alive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And so I just want to encourage everyone out there with that, that when they went to the tomb on the third day, what we celebrate on Easter... Uh, the tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. And uh, because of that, we can have hope, um, not only for the age to come, but we can have hope in our everyday lives, knowing that Jesus overcame death for us on Mm -hmm. our behalf, um, and that he overcame, and we can walk anew. Uh, Even in our missional community last night, we were talking about how we receive a confession of sin from one of our brothers or sisters. When someone confesses sin, uh, we remind them of the truths of the gospel, that Jesus died for their sin and that they're forgiven. Mm-hmm. But we also remind them of Jesus's resurrection, that he walked anew and that we too can walk anew and, and live a life that's free from sin because of Christ's resurrection. And so, I I hope that you're encouraged by that out of Daniel 6, and I hope you're reminded of the resurrection, even listening to this podcast today. And so with that, uh, we're closing out, and we're grateful for all of you who listen. Um, We haven't mentioned this in a while, but if you have other questions that you want us to address on the podcast or questions about Daniel 6, please reach out to us, office at santacruzbaptist.com. Um, and we would love to take on those questions um, and hopefully answer them if you have them. Have a great rest of the day, and we will see you again next week. Bye.